Matan Torah, the magic of bridging heaven with earth. Let's develop this a bit. On one hand, Torah is Ruchni. Torah is metaphysical. It deals with the divine, the world of the soul, our connection to Hashem, that which transcends conscious understanding. On the other hand, Torah is also human. It deals with human dynamics of the physical world. The stories in Torah are of sibling rivalry and jealousies. The readily accessible psychological phenomenon that we see left and right. It's halachos deal with Sharshanagahasapara, axes goring each other. You could not have found a more earthly subject. This is the enigma. This is the mystery of Torah. Torah on the surface deals with worldly phenomena, but via that Olam Haza, that physical dynamic called Torah and Mitzvahs, we connect the realm that's beyond. Somehow leather tefillin boxes connect my soul to Hashem in wage which transcends human comprehension. Ramban has a fascinating way to envision this. Ramban tells us that when you look at the letters in the Chumash, letters which on the surface are articulatable human sentences, sentences which make sense to our physical ears. Yosef went out to his brothers, for example. Well, says the Ramban, actually, if you realign the letters of the Chumash, if you do not break up the letters into the word breakup and sentence structure as we have them, if you put the letters of the Chumash together, in run-on sentences, these are actually Shemoshel HaKadosh Baruch names of the divine. These names of the divine, the letters of the Sefer Torah, were broken into a human storyline. And Olam Hazadikah Mitzvahs, as our touch point, as our connection to Hashem. So when we're studying a story such as sibling rivalry in the Chumash, or when we're learning halachas such as Borer on Shabbos, separating seeds from a watermelon on Shabbos, in all of their gory physicality, that is our means of connecting to the Shamos, to the divine names, which underlie the Chumash and underlie the Sefer Torah. This marriage between the metaphysical and the physical, the divine and the human, finds fascinating expression in a well-known Gemara regarding Shavuos. It tells us that when Moshe Rabbeinu ascended on high to receive the Torah, the Malachim, the angels, accosted him, and they actually argued to Hashem, what is this mere mortal doing amongst us? Torah To accept the Torah? Torah has no place on earth. They enunciate the Pasuk, 
Your name is too awesome for the earth. Place your splendor, i.e. the Torah in heaven. Moshe is given the task to face down the angel's challenge. And Moshe says, hold on, read any Pusik in the Chumash. It says, I am Hashem, your God, who took you out of Mitzrayim. Were you angel slaves in Mitzrayim? It says, Lo Sachmo, don't covet, don't lust your, lust your friend's house, your, your friend's home, your friend's wife. Do you angels lust? Do you covet? This is a Torah for us, not for you guys. The angels agree. They no longer argue, Tnei Hod Chal Al Shemayim, the splendor should be in heaven. They simply enunciate the Pasuk, Hashem Ma'adr Shimcha Bechol Ha'aretz, how awesome is your name on earth, no longer a proposal that it be in heaven. Now this Gemara on the face of it makes no sense. The Malachim's argument seems laughable, even sardonic. Torah should be given to the angels? I mean, Moshe's argument is so clear. Read any Pasuk Chumash. This is human discussion. This is not the stuff of angels and heavenly spheres. Answers Ridvaz. Answers Ridvaz. Based on the Ramban we mentioned, there is a highest form of Torah, the names of Hashem which underlie the Torah we have. It was that Torah that the Malachim were conscious of and correctly argue that its most suitable place is in heaven. It's dealing with the divine. It's dealing with manifestations of God. Moshe, however, says... Hashem has given that primordial Torah, that otherworldly Torah, a worldly expression. Read its present Sukkim and format. It speaks to human beings. I would suggest that this interpretation, seeing the angels zealous guarding of the Torah as the stuff of heaven, based on the notion that the Torah, the letters of the Torah are Shema Shalach Kodesh Baruch or names of Hashem, can actually be traced in the wording of the Pasuk cited by the Gemara. When it tells us the Malachim argued, Hashem ma'adir shimcha b'chol ha'aretz, your name is too awesome for the earth. Why do they refer to the Torah as your name, Hashem? Well, now we understand why. It's beautiful. Because the notion of the otherworldly Torah is this idea that the letters of the Chumash are Shema Shal HaKadosh Baruch Hu are names. Conceptually speaking, the point which emerges is awesome to behold. Torah is ultimately an angelic dynamic but experienced by humans. When here on this earth, we fulfill mitzvahs, I visit the sick, I sweep up a banana peel from the ground in front of someone who might slip, and other seemingly banal acts, which are consummately holy. My soul is aflame, my soul is on fire in wage which transcends physical comprehension. We become angels in a sense but through the human condition. And we all could attest to great tzaddikim who truly observe Torah. 
that on one hand, they are so holy and so angelic and so pure. And at the same time, they are so normal and so human. That is what Hashem wants Torah to do to a person. This understanding that Torah, human, humanly accessible though it is, is ultimately making us angelic, can be brought to light by tracing a cohesive pattern again and again, all over Torah and Chazal regarding Shavuos. We have this notion of the Malachim, always the Malachim, always the angels. Not only the above-cited Gemara where the Malachim assert Torahs for the angels, but think about the entire premise of Moshe ascending to the heavens, the realm of the angels, to receive Torah. That is because that's where Torah originates. And moreover, think about the Haftorah, which we read on Shavuos. The Haftorah of Shavuos is the Mara Yecheskel, is Yecheskel's vision of the Merkava, of the angelic realm. Because at the time of Matan Torah, Hashem revealed the angelic realm. And not only that, the Haftorah of Yisro, the Parsha about Matan Torah, is Yeshaya's vision of the celestial angelic realm. Angels, 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 not angels, all over the place, all over the place. And it continues. The Gemara tells us that when the Jewish people said Nasa before Neshma, showed trust in Hashem, saying, we will do, even before we understand. Abbas Kol, a heavenly voice, declared, you are like the Malachim, Malachim. Act that way. And the pattern continues. We are taught when the Jewish people said Nasa before Nishma, they received crowns from whom? From the Malachim. And likewise, we are taught in the Gemara and Shabbos that when the Jewish people were awed by the fire and the smoke, the pomp, and the thunder of Maimon Harsinai, and they receded to the background, it was the Malachim that brought them back and re-engaged them in Matan Torah. Again and again, we have this business of Malachim at Matan Torah, and the Jewish people are like the Malachim and facilitated by the angels. In the same vein, Rashi tells us that at Matan Torah, Hashem opened the heavens and revealed the angelic realm. Well, all of these references, which are widely known and familiar, but presumably until now for most, have been seen as isolated reference. We now understand are part of a cohesive tapestry. This is how we are supposed to view Shavuos, a time when the Jewish people become like angels. Because ultimately, Torah is making us angelic. Never believe Torah is simply an ethical or a rational system for positive human behavior. That's the tip of the iceberg. It is so much more. It is our access route to the divine, our access route to the angelic. And in a sense, ignorance is bliss. It is to our advantage that we don't really understand the sheer spiritual potency and power of Torah and Mitzvah. If we were aware that every word of Torah, every mitzvah, is spurring, angelic, divine phenomenon, I think we would be overwhelmed. I think we wouldn't be able to handle it. We would 
be enthralled in a rapturous sort of state of mind, which would actually preclude mitzvah observance, which requires deliberate, practical focus. And this is brought out by the malachim. The malachim who don't get this idea of bridging heaven and earth. They don't understand that an angelic Torah could have place on earth. You notice that the malachim were in their initial argument, keep Torah in heaven. Couldn't fathom. It didn't even occur to them that Torah took on earthly form, the format of human stories and physical mitzvahs. And even in the end of the Gemara, when they concede and no longer say, place your splendor in heaven, read carefully, the Gemara says they still enunciate, Hashem Hashem, your name does seem too awesome for the earth. They no longer say, place your name in heaven. Because Hashem has spoken, Hashem has, sho- Hashem has shown, as Moshe de- Hashem has reformatted the Torah, as Moshe demonstrates. But on some level, they're still saying, Hashem's name, the names of Hashem, the Torah is too much for earth. Why? Why don't the Malachim get it? It's because the nature of the angels, their virtue becomes a vice of sorts. Because they are so aware of the, of the, of the Ruchniistika realm, because they are so aware of the sheer spiritual potency and power of Torah, it's inconceivable that such divinity and godliness can take the form of physicality. We who are unaware of that as earthlings, we could cope with it, we could deal with it. This notion, both on one hand, that through Torah and mitzvahs we rise to the angelic realm, but at the same time the angels don't get this, can't get this, that a spiritual Torah becomes physical, is borne out in the Kedusha, which we say in Shemona Esrei, both on Chol and even more so on Shabbos and Yatif. We say, Hashem, we are going to sanctify your name the same way the angels do in heaven. We are going to say the same statement as the angels. Well, that piece of our liturgy, which we have said so many times, now reads forever different. It doesn't just happen to be we're using the same words as the angels to serenade Hashem. It is because really we achieve the angelic, we achieve the divine, but in human form. But the angels can't fathom that. They know it's true, as we studied in the Gemara. Hashem desires physical manifestation, the work of the Jewish people, but it doesn't make sense to them. Where do I see this? I see this from a fascinating, seeming textual divergence between two narratives, which is in in truth not a divergence. Why? Because I mentioned before, we have two narratives connected to Matan Torah, two narratives in the Navi which describe the angelic realm. We have Yechaskel's vision and Yeshaya's vision, the Haftorah of Shavuos and the Haftorah of Yisrael. Well, in one passage, the Malachim say, Kadosh, 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 Hashem milochal aretz kavodo. Yes, indeed. Hashem's honor fills the earth, the earth, not the heavens. 
But in the other narrative, they say, Baruch Kvod Hashem Mimkomo, blessed be Hashem's honor from its place, wherever it is. We don't quite get where it is. Your sensitive ear hears that divergence. In one, his honor fills the earth, says, say the angels. In the other, his honor is somewhere. We can't quite get where it is. Well, how do you square those two? And the truth is, the our liturgy is dangling that conflict right in front of us. When a place is those two sukkim side by side in the Kedusha. First, Kadosh Kadosh Hashem Elochal Aritz Kvoto, and then Baruch Kvod Hashem Mimkomo, wherever it is. And we further dramatize that issue in the Kedusha on Shabbos, when we say, they say, Ayin Akum Kvoto, where is the place of his honor? As much as we just said, Melochal Aritz Kvoto, it's in the earth, really, where is it? Because, you see, while the Malachim are ultimately accepting Moshe's argument, Hashem Shechina, the divine revelation through Torahs on earth, it doesn't really make sense to them. We know it's on earth, but on some level we have to plead the fifth, because it doesn't really make sense to us. Those who are so aware of the divine and would become rapturously enthralled by it cannot fathom that all of that can become concretized in mitzvahs of leather, black leather boxed filling and removing banana peels in front of, in front, from in front of stragglers. We have that great opportunity and challenge to bridge heaven and earth. And in a sense, the more developed you become in Torah and spirituality, the harder it becomes. The more you delve deeper into Torah and become aware of its mysteries, the greater your challenge becomes for everything you understand in Torah, for all your divine meditations, keep focused on earth. Have that spiritual Torah-inspire, pragmatic mitzvahs on earth. I see this from a fascinating statement of Chazal as developed by the Mekubalim. We have a Gemara which talks about various Tanam who had a heavenly vision. And it says only one of the sages were able to handle that heavenly vision, Rabbi Akiva. Yatza B'Shalom. He left the heavens in peace. He was able to deal with the heavenly vision and then come back to earth unscathed. All the other sages could not come back to earth. And the most fatal catastrophe, victim of that encounter with heaven was the sage Ben-Azai. Ben-Azai hits its bow mace. Ben-Azai glanced at the divine revelation in heaven and that killed him. Various explanations are given, but the Mekubalim's approach is this is because when Ben-Azai saw and beheld and understood the full depth and meaning of the divine, he had such a yearning, he had such a passion to become one with the divine to cling to the divine in total intimacy. That he was unable to bring himself back to earth. For everything I understand about Hashem and my soul connection to him, how could I be anywhere but him? And the Makubalim further developed from this perspective that it is not a coincidence that it was particularly the sage Ben-Azai who has this problem. Because what other biographical details do we know about Ben-Azai? 
Benazai says elsewhere in the Gemara, I refuse to get married. Why do I refuse to get married? I love Torah too much. I cannot pull myself away from the books and marry a woman. You, and Benazai admitted this was, so to speak, wrong of him, but he couldn't do it. You hear the spectacular connection. Benazai had this problem becoming totally enthralled in the world of thought, and the world of spirit. In the panemius, the essence of Torah, he cannot bring himself back to earth, whether to physical earth or whether to come home to a wife and children and forge a relationship to them. This is, the, the Benazai phenomenon is a visceral expression of this challenge of Matan Torah, a Torah which is not for the angels as angels, but a Torah for man who becomes an angel as man, never severing his tether, which tethers him to earth, as much as he ascends to ever more elevated spiritual heights. Which now prods us to dig deeper. Everything we've been studying tonight about bridging heaven and earth seems to be coming alive in this statement about Benazai's struggle, which leads us now to contrast the counterpart to Benazai. Who was it who was able to see the power-based division of heaven but come down to earth? Rabbi Akiva. Notice, first of all, the terminology in the Gemara is Rabbi Akiva Yatsab B'Shalom. Rabbi Akiva was able to leave the paradise division in, in shalom, in peace. I would suggest a deeper meaning. Now, shalom, from the word shlemos, means to harmonize. Chazal, in their articulation of Rabbi Akiva leaving unscathed, harp on the word shalom, because that's what it's all about, to harmonize. Ultimately, he's bridging self with the divine, heaven with earth. Rabbi Akiva is able to do that, which ultimately makes him a greater sage than Benazai. A greater Balmasora, Rabbi Akiva embodies what Torah is all about. Which now gives meaning to yet another Gemara. In another Gemara, Ben Azai, the former sage, the one who never got married, he says, I was able to best all of the sages. He says, all the other sages are like a garlic peel in front of me. I am stratospheres, Ahead of them in Torah. But he continues, besides for Rabbi Akiva, Chutzman Akarchiaza, he has to admit Rabbi Akiva was a greater master than him. Now, what a coincidence, in quotes, that the only sage who was able to best Benazai is Rabbi Akiva, who we see in this other Gemara, was the one who was able to come back to earth. Well, indeed, it's no coincidence at all. Now we understand why. We understand that for all of Benazai's greatness, his one great flaw which Rabbi Akiva did not have, the ability to come back to earth, was also consequential. That while a person might think if they pull themselves away from their books and tend to a wife and children and tend to this worldly phenomenon, it's going to detract from their learning. And maybe it does in the short term. But in the long term, what a coincidence that Rabbi Akiva developed beyond Benazah. Because a Torah system only works when we work within its formula. 
And Hashem created a Torah which must be tethered to earth. This is a common, healthy struggle which well-developed Talmud Chachabim have as Yeshiva Bachar when they get married. That correctly, during their years as a Yeshiva Bachar, their focus was almost exclusively on personal spiritual growth and sincere growth and learning. And then when they get married, they have to bridge this gap. And most do, with help and guidance and intelligence if they are sensitive good people. Most do, there are tragic exceptions. This is a very relevant phenomenon, but it's critical. Because as I've told such people, true Torah life is only when you get married and you bridge heaven and earth. Well, now from this perspective, seeing our whole development of Shavuos, bridging heaven and earth, coming alive in the Benazai versus Rabbi Akiva contrast, a eureka type of light bulb, ooh, blinked off in my head. Rabbi Akiva, the one who bridges heaven and earth, we know, is the major mascot, if I may call him that, of Shavuos. The whole Spiros Omer period, we've been fixated on Rabbi Akiva and his students, which is more than merely a calendar coincidence. His students died, but then, survived, but, but then there were remnants who survived during this period. It indicates that Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Akiva's Mesorah is focal to the sphere of Shavuos period. Well, now we understand that with such depth. The whole issue on Shavuos is follow Rabbi Akiva's Mesorah, learn how to bridge heaven and earth. A Torah, which is the names of God, but ultimately takes on the form of human stories and human mitzvahs. A Torah, which is for the angels, but ultimately becomes a Torah of Losachma, don't covet your friend's home, your friend's wife, as Moshe articulated. And as with every Torah true revelation, the cohesion, the consistency, the interwovenness further expands. Because I began to think further about this study, Rabbi Akiva versus Benazai, and Benazai who could not bring himself to get married. And I realized the fact that Benazai's otherworldliness was specifically manifest in his inability to get married is not simply an example of otherworldliness, but I would argue is the perfect and precise way of bringing out the point. Marriage is all about bridging heaven and earth, and let me explain what I mean. Gender studies has become a fascination in the modern world. Unfortunately, in some quarters, corruption of gender studies has become a fascination. But authentic Torah true gender studies and healthy study of gender differences in Kabbalah teach us as follows. They, that we really must study the biological functions of man and woman and the way they come together and thereby understand the harmonious relationship on an emotional and a mental level too. We know the male is the catalyst, the seed. A seed which in turn is conceived. Something is made of it by what? Well, Kabbalah understands this is far more than a biological phenomenon. 
This is a symbol, this is a symbol of who man is, who woman is. Man is the inspiration of an idea. The raw, potent force, the creative flash. But a creative flash within itself doesn't go anywhere. It's like a wasted seed, Women, who in their classic model are endowed with pragmatism and practicality, are able to take the seed and make something out of it, are able to take man's drives, man's passions, man's indefatigable urge to do something. Woman concretizes it in something real. She conceives life from the seed. And this is true about all interactions between man and woman. This goes a long way to explain Chazal's understanding while the Talmudic realm, Torah Shbalpaz, primarily that of men, abstract studies, while the practicality of Olam Hazaz, primarily the realm of women. Again, there are, there are exceptions, as Kabbalah tells us, of mismatched souls, but that's for another study. Men who behave like women, women who behave like men, but that's beyond the scope of today's presentation. We'll talk about that another time. This is borne out from a fascinating Gemara, by the way. There's a Gemara which tells us it says, when should a man listen to his wife? And when should a man trust his own gut? So I think many would say today, always trust your wife. But Chazal are more nuanced than that. Listen to what the Gemara says, and let's have the patience to develop what Chazal are saying sensitively. They say, Bemili de Shemaya, matters of heaven, trust yourself. But Bemili de Alma, matters of this world, trust your wife. Now, what do they mean by that? Is that an insult or a dischas towards women? Women are only good for worldly matters, they're not good for heavenly matters? Furthermore, do we Jews bifurcate between spiritual and physical? Any meaningful decision is spiritual, right? In fact, Rabbi Yisrael Salanter's wife said about this Gemara. She told her husband, you've showed me that all decisions in life are really spiritual, so that would make you the final arbiter of everything. Where does that leave me? Well, I think the deeper meaning of the Gemara is as follows. There are two distinct domains to Torah. Mili Dishmai in the worlds of the Gemara, matters of heaven, and Mili Alma matters of earth. You know what that means? Matters of heaven means the realm of theory, the realm of ideas. That's the realm of men, the way men are hardwired. The dreaming, the passion, the quixotic, romantic drives to conquer. Trust yourself in that realm. Trust your read of the Rashba, your read of the Zayers, not... You don't have to defer to your wife there. But Bamili Dialma, getting things done in this world, decisions how to deal with people, decisions how to complete a project, how to be mechanic your kids. She is the guardian of practicality, of implementation, of concretizing. And this is borne out in all sorts of mysterious Gemaras. For example, in the above cited passage, the Gemara also says a, a very provocative metaphor. It says, Itchagutza, if your wife is short, gacham v'tachlushla, bend down and listen to her. Bend down and listen to your short wife. Well, far more than simply an articulation about heights and the needs for equaling the playing field, bring down your ear to your short wife. I think the deeper metaphor is, 
What does it mean your wife is short? Your wife is a midget. A man in his realm of ideas, in his realm of theory, in his realm of heaven, can delude himself to remain on his high horse. I'm high up there. I'm, I'm high in my realm of theory. No, bend down to your short wife. She's down here in the realm of this world. Come down to earth. Listen to her. Come down to earth. Come down from the clouds. She's more in touch with the reality of this world. So take all your ideas from heaven and bend down to your short wife. In the same vein, I would like to explain another mysterious Gemara, Gemara Nyavamas, which tells us, Go down a notch and marry a woman. Which is understood in, a va- in various ways by different Mepharshim, but on some level seems to be saying, you got to go down a rung when you get married to a woman. Why? Well, now we understand. Go down a rung and marry a woman is not an insult to women. It is a statement. You perceive her on a lower notch, but actually that's the notch you got to be on. She's tethering you to this world. She's taking all of your high, esoteric, exalted, quixotic, romantic ideas and making something real out of it. So this is a very deep, resonant understanding of men and woman. Man and woman. And now returning to our Benazai phenomenon, we understand so powerfully now Benazai, who never comes down from heaven and earth, it was particularly marriage which vexed him. The ability to marry a woman is all about learning to bridge the divide between heaven and earth, between the realm of ideas and the realm of practicality. And that's a bridge, a gap which we oh so critically must learn to bridge, not only for healthy interpersonal relationship, but for healthy humanity at all, because we need to thrive in this world. With this in mind, yet another Eureka light bulb goes off right in my right here in my mind. If marriage, the ability to harmonize man and woman, is the expression of bringing heaven down to earth, Shvus. Well, how interesting now to study the counterpart to Benazai, Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva's marriage to Rachel is held up by Chazal as this most cherished of partnerships. She saw virtue in him. She had the patience, even when he was seemingly an uncouth shepherd to see his potential. And she was able to make difficult sacrifices for his development. But in the end, they were a team, as Rabbi Akiva tells his students. Shaliva shalacham shalachi, she's to credit for my achievement. This most explicit articulation of a true partnership in Torah between man and woman is specifically regarding Rabbi Akiva. No coincidence, because Rabbi Akiva is all about fusion, Yatsa B'Shalom, bridging heaven and earth, bridging the realm of the ideas, vision, possibilities, with actuality. That's Rabbi Akiva and his wife. And the more I thought about this, the light bulbs kept blinking, because then I realized something amazing. If Rabbi Akiva and Benazai and everything Rabbi Akiva represents as the mascot of Shavuos, if this is all brought out in the ability to have true partnership in marriage, what another coincidence. We are taught in the Gemara, a Gemara as rendered by Tosvis, 
that Panazai actually did have a close call. He almost did get married. We have a text that Rabbi Akiva, Benazai actually betrothed a woman. But as Tosis explains, he couldn't consummate it in his silly, right? That's where his inhibition held him back. Well, who was that girl who Rabbi Akiva, who Benazai, the reticent groom who couldn't pull the trigger, yeah, because of his spiritual rapture? Who was that girl who he betrothed but was ultimately unable to marry? Guess. It's going to sound too good to be true. The daughter of Rabbi Akiva, the Gemara says. Oh boy, what a coincidence in quotes. His potential to get married was of all girls, the daughter of Rabbi Akiva, no coincidence as all. There's no coincidences in Torah. Rabbi Akiva's legacy as embodied by his daughter is the potential to bridge heaven and earth. Benazi's inability to fully embrace, literally and figuratively, the daughter of Rabbi Akiva is really his inability to become everything a Rabbi Akiva is, everything the Shavuos of Rabbi Akiva is all about. Wow. Wow. Life is about harmony. Marriage is about harmony. Bringing man and woman together, life is about harmony. Bridging heaven and earth, Torah is about harmony. The realm of heaven, the realm of the angels. Which brought me to another realization. Let's return to the, let's now return to the Gemara we opened with. The Gemara about the angels who questions what's Moshe doing here in heaven? This is a Torah for the heaven. Listen carefully now to the words of the Gemara. The Gemara says that when they accosted Moshe, they argued to Hashem, Ma li'elud isha be'nenu. What is a son of a woman doing amongst us? When they wanted to, so to speak, dis Moshe and cut him down to size. Of all ways to portray Moshe's mortality, he's a mere mortal, they say, Ma li'elud isha be'nenu. What is this son of a woman doing amongst us? Why of all ways to bring out Moshe's mortality, Moshe's human limitations and corporeality, do they focus on Yeludi, she's the son of the woman? Well, now we understand so deeply. Son of a woman means he's ultimately a person of this world. Each of us born from a woman, the figure of concretization, Olam Hazah, are charged with pragmatism, the mission to step out of our, off our quixotic course and to live in all the nitty-gritty of this world. All the devil in the details of living life in this world, but to somehow come to the place, the realization it's not devil in the details, but it's divine in the details. Well, that's what the angels couldn't get. They mock Moshe as the son of woman. They don't understand. The great secret of Torah is really the secret of womanhood. All of us born from woman are charged with bridging heaven and earth. All of these realizations weave cohesively as a unified tapestry. Amazing. I stand back and marvel at the 
breathtaking panorama. And the idea now is oh so powerful. If our Matan Torah is going to be a real Matan Torah, we must be spiritually inspired. We should not settle for a simplistic understanding of Torah. Some people are overly pragmatic and don't delve into the realm of ideas. They say no cunts, no cunts to be tethered down to earth. Yeah, well, of course. No, learn Torah deep. Scale the mountains. Ascend to the highest realizations in Torah, but yet remain tethered to earth. Learn Torah deep, daven with meditation, but then be a good father and mother to your children, a good spouse to your spouse. Have that Torah inspire you to deal with other people, to remove banana peels from in front of stragglers, to diaper babies, and all the other devil in the details, which are in fact divine in the details. Thank you very much. Warmest wishes of Gudyanta.